You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you and thank you for your presence with us. And Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, that is just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. And as we prepare to hear your word read and preached, Lord God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, that you would give us hearts to respond to it. And I do ask, Lord God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm the pastor for Student and Family Ministry. I'm glad to be with you this morning. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks and even months, you know uh, that we were in a sermon series called Our Resurrection Hope. And in that series, we explored just how amazing the impact that Jesus' resurrection had on all things, the meaning that it has for everyday life for all of creation, that there was nothing too big or too small that can't be changed by the resurrection. Everything was significantly and is significantly impacted and changed by and through the resurrection. That's what we had been talking about. And this week, we are beginning a new sermon series called Taste and See. And even in this series, we'll see still how the resurrection makes changes in powerful ways to simple things, things that we may even take for granted, such as food and meals. And so through this Taste and See series this summer, we're going to have the opportunity to trace the themes of food and feasting throughout Scripture. And each of the passages, the stories that we'll be looking at, dives into these things in different ways and shows us just how God nourishes us. We're going to see through these biblical meals just how God provides an opportunity to actually experience his goodness, to taste and see who he is, to taste and see what kind of kingdom he's inaugurating here on earth, and to even invite others to the table. And so to start off our sermon series, to start off the sermon this this day, uh, Matt and Crystal Maddox will be reading our scripture. So let's hear God's word. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animal, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we think about food, we have to recognize that all of us have a relationship with it. Now, for each one of us sitting here, for the people that we know, our relationship with food is different. Maybe it's vastly different from the people around us. Maybe it's only slightly different, but it's different. I see this in, in my own family. Um, my, I, I'm a type 1 diabetic, and so my relationship with a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts is very different than the other members of my family. We relate to that very differently. We also are people who have strong um, feelings about food. If you're in North Carolina, you should be very careful if you think tomato-based barbecue is the best kind of barbecue. <laughs> or similarly, if you're in Memphis, be careful where you think the best ribs come from um, if you think it's from St. Louis. I will say, though, and I think we can all agree that New York has the best pizza. You know, what's funny, though, is people fight over these things, right? Arguments happen over what barbecue is best, what pizza is best. My brother lives in Chicago. I can speak firsthand to that. These things just speak to the impact that food has on us, the importance of it, how we pay attention to it. Our culture has very strong feelings about food. There's even a cable TV channel solely dedicated to food, the Food Network, Food has made people famous. Probably most of us here know who Rachel Ray is, or Bobby Flay, or even Gordon Ramsay. These are people who have become famous for what they can do with food and a good marketing team. But there's another person who is probably a little less famous than those I've just mentioned, but is famous because of food nonetheless. His name is Andrew Zimmerman, and he has a new TV show um, called Family Dinner. And in each 30-minute episode, he is traveling around the country, visiting families that are eating, preparing and eating meals together. Um, and in each episode, they all contain the same thing. They have the family gathering, they prepare the meal, they eat together. And through this preparation and through this meal sharing, they pass on traditions, they pass on values and this goes from generation to generation. Great-great-grandmothers' recipes are passed on to the grandchildren, even though the great-great-grandmothers had passed away decades ago. There is something powerful that happens around this table, around these dinners. Caroline and I have really enjoyed watching it, and we've heard some very cool stories, some powerful stories, and we can see, even though it's on television, values being passed on. And maybe if we stop to think about it, some of us here can relate to that on a personal level as well. In that show and in our lives, food is so much more than just fuel to keep us going 
enabling us to survive. There's something powerful about it. There's something significant about it. And God has created it that way. Now, it took me preparing this message, actually, to grasp this more and more. And I'm willing to bet that there's probably a number of us here who are in a similar boat, where when we think about food, thinking about the power of it wasn't something that really would come to mind. And so as we dive deeper into this today, I just want us to think about the importance of food, the imperfections around food, and the implications of food according to our scripture from Genesis today. So obviously food is important. We absolutely need it to survive. We won't live for very long if we can't eat. But as I said, there is much more to food than just keeping us going. And and I want to begin with something very basic uh, for us to think about on this. And that's simply this. Food is good. I don't mean just tastes good. I mean, I I hope it tastes good. I hope wherever you may go to eat, whether it's the lunch with the McCulloughs or um, out or something like that, I hope you taste good food. But what I mean by good is what God declared it to be. God created food and he declared it as good. Now, again, as a diabetic, I could have a very different perspective on food. I could look at food as an enemy almost, as something I have to manage, something I have to handle, something that can create a real hassle in my life. And while I do need to look at food differently than perhaps many people, I can't say that food in and of itself is bad. It's not. God created it and he declared it good. It's part of his good creation. And like all of creation then, it's meant to point us to him, to give him glory, and so that we can know him more and more. So food and meals, they're important because they can give God glory, point us to him, but they also show us who God is and what he does. Simply being able to eat, it reminds us of God's provision and his abundance. Now for us here, that's something we probably take for granted, but it doesn't take a lot of hard looking to see around the world that that is not the case for all people. And so for them, when food is provided, perhaps they grasp God's provision even more so than we do. But regardless, where we are and what we have, everything comes from God and food and meals remind us of his provision and his abundance. I mean, in our scripture this morning, Adam and Eve were given every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it. Every and whole are two words that describe God's vast abundance. And so when we eat something, we can be drawn to see just how much God has given us. God's also enabled food to connect us to other people, both indirectly and directly. He connects us to other people indirectly, just simply thinking about the food preparation process. Even if you cook a meal in your own home, on your own, somebody else has had a hand in it. Someone has grown the vegetables, has raised the beef. Somebody else has done the transportation to get the food from where it was to where it is now. There's a lot of work that goes from where food starts to our, then to end up in our mouths. It's a long process from beginning to end that many people had a part in. And so God has indirectly connected us to them. So even when you eat something as simple as a cracker, there are other people who have made that happen. 
and we are connected to them, even if it's indirectly. But more powerfully is the direct connection that we have when we eat meals together. Meals were intended to be communal. They were events where people gathered together, were with one another, and as family dinner shows, shares values and lessons and passes things on. There is a communal aspect to meals. We're connected deeply to one another. And this communal connection that we can have over food reminds us of the communal relationship that God has existed in for all eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing in the Trinity. Eating a meal together, connecting with one another, being in community reflects the community in which God lives as the Trinity. One more important aspect of food, and there are many, but this, this one more for today, this is the one that struck me the most this week as I prepared this message, was that eating a meal reminds us of the rhythm that God established when he created everything. In order to eat a meal, we have to take a break from what we were previously doing. If we were to read all of Genesis 1 and into the very beginning of Genesis 2, we would see that for six days God worked, and then on the seventh day, God rested. He created and established a pattern of work and of rest. It's what God did. And as people who are made in his image then, it's what we need to do also because God has created us that way. And all of us at some point in our lives have been forced perhaps to recognize this rhythm of work and rest. As a person who has survived over 25 high school lock-ins, I can promise you, you can only go so long without sleep or rest. We also see this in, in the way we are made to work in our weekly schedules. If we continue to work and work and work with no rest, eventually there will be some sort of crashing and burning. Hopefully it won't be significant, but we will come to the end of our ability at some point if we don't rest. And with meals, God has wired us to desire this rest on a daily basis. All of us are made to have a rhythm of work and rest. And in our day, we find this rest in our mealtime. And it doesn't matter where in our life we are, whether we are a kid or retired for many, many years, God has set this rhythm into our lives and he gives us the opportunity through meals to rest and enjoy a small taste of Sabbath, even if it's just a short little break. And this Sabbath rest was a day that God created to give us rest from our laboring. And again, laboring does not necessarily mean paid employment, but it is the work that he has set before us. The Sabbath then is an opportunity for us to be renewed, to be restored, to be reconnected to one another and to God. And through the Sabbath, God nourishes us spiritually he sets us up to continue to be who he created us to be and enables us to do what he's created us to do. And so when we enjoy a meal together, we're enacting a mini Sabbath. It reminds us of the rest that God has given us and that he calls us to. Interestingly, about 200 years ago, the French government actually inadvertently recognized this. In the late 1800s, there was this um, 
outbreak of illnesses that seemed to be coming from many of the factories um, where people were, you know, coming to work, they maybe were sick, they were eating, they were getting sick from the chemicals and things in the factory and what, whatnot. And so the French government decided that in order to help the society be healthier, they would have to find a way to get the germs out of the factories. And so what they did is they made it illegal for people to eat at work or eat while they were working. And so they sent everybody out of the factories, opened up all the windows to get the germs to go out. Now, this law, which again was in the late 1800s, was still in effect in 2020. Now, it was put on hold during the COVID-19 mitigation factors that the French government put in place, but when COVID cleared up enough for everybody to return back to a, what was close to normal schedule, this traditional 90-minute French lunch break was back. And we may hear a 90-minute lunch break. You've got to be kidding me. But what's interesting is that studies have shown in France that those who took this 90-minute lunch break had better health outcomes and were actually more productive than the people who didn't. And so this French labor law shows us what God intended from the very beginning, how God has wired us to have rest so that we can continue to do what was set before us. And so meals are a way of God demonstrating the importance of this Sabbath rest. They remind us of his provision. They remind us of his goodness. They draw us into community and they can renew us. But if your life is even remotely similar to what mine is right now, this probably sounds too good to be true. Maybe it sounds improbable. Maybe it even sounds impossible. And in our broken world, thinking like that makes sense. I know I certainly feel that way. I felt that way preparing this message. And this is part of the imperfections around food. And, and I realize imperfection may be not the best word. I really truthfully was just looking for a word that began with the letter I that allowed me to talk about the impact sin has um, on, on food and how we treat it. But this past spring, my family, we established a, um, a new routine or a new meal ritual on Wednesday evenings. And this is, this is how it began. I would rush out of my office, I would hurry down to pick up William from preschool. I would then rush to Chick-fil-A and impatiently wait in the drive-thru as I got my order for my family. Then I would rush home. We would get McCray into the car. I would hand him his number one with extra pickles that he would then shovel into his mouth as we drove to his baseball game where I would then sit down and shovel my Chick-fil-A into my mouth before I would leave to go to Club 56. That was pretty much every Wednesday night for three months or so. On the plus side, we could predict what Wednesday nights were going to be like. And so while that, that schedule may sound hectic, at least we knew it was coming. But there were other nights of the week where perhaps something would pop up and we would have to run a schedule similar to that without the mental preparation leading up to it. Things got crazy, but at least with Wednesdays, we had um, a, a plan in place. And so in all of those things, Wednesday nights especially, remembering and resting in God, I mean, come on, that, that just wasn't even something that crossed my mind. And maybe you can relate to this experience. Maybe your schedule's like that every single night of the week. I know that we have very busy schedules, both here at Third, but nationally, people are feeling this push of having schedules filled with so much stuff. It may not be kids for you, 
It could be work-related things or other activities and events and boards and things that you're a part of that fill up your schedule where we just feel like we're running from one thing to another. Many of us feel overwhelmed by our schedules. And so setting aside time to eat with others, that's, that's just not going to happen. Now, I can say, thankfully, that it was just Wednesday nights for us that really got like that. But that's not the case for everybody. If your schedule is nuts only one night a week, maybe two, you can find ways to have this community meal um, at other times. But if it doesn't seem feasible for that to happen at all, and I know I have weeks like that where that is the case, we have to ask ourselves a question. And that question's why? Why are our lives filled with so much of this stuff? Why are we so busy in so many different ways? Jace Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame once said, if you're too busy to fish, you're too busy. If we're too busy to eat a meal together, can't we say the same thing about ourselves? But then it comes down to, again, why? Why are we so busy? Well, we know that our, our actions, our behaviors, they flow out of our thoughts and ideas. And so while there are a lot of factors that drive our schedules to be what they are, I wonder if one of the thoughts that we may unknowingly have is that we don't think God's actually in charge, that we don't actually believe he's in control of all things. If meals are to be a Sabbath rest, that means they're an opportunity for us to say, God, I am taking a break from what I was doing. I am trusting you to make up for, to cover, to give me what I need, even though I'm not doing what I had been doing previously. If we are saying we're practicing Sabbath, if we are taking a meal, we can say that. But if we are not taking meals, perhaps we actually don't believe that God is great enough to cover for us when we're not doing those things we had been. Probably almost all of us here would say, yes, we believe that God is in control. Yes, we believe that God's will should be done in this world and in our lives. But our actions, our habits, our schedules are perhaps saying something else, that we're the ones in control, that we're the ones who are in charge. And God, maybe he's our co-pilot. Maybe he's in the backseat of the car. Maybe he's not even there with us. Now, we all have responsibilities that God has given us that have to get done. And we do need food. And so sometimes Chick-fil-A before a baseball game is the best we can do. But we also know that food is more than just sustenance. It's something God uses to point us to himself. And we see this in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus is tempted by the devil, Jesus says to Satan words from Deuteronomy 8, that humanity doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The true bread that we're to find true life in and through is Jesus. Our ultimate need has been met in him, the bread of life. He's provided the most important thing for all of us, for those who believe. Salvation, fulfillment now, abundant life today and for eternity. And because that is true, because Jesus has met our ultimate need, we can find rest. We don't have to have our schedules jammed full so that we can't eat with others. 
We don't have to run from one thing to the next so that our lives or our kids' lives amount to something. We can have rest because the most important work, it's been done for us by and through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. Look, God works through meals. He reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of his goodness. He reminds us of what he's done. He reminds us that our true rest is found only in him through Jesus. So what are the implications of this? What would this look like? What what steps might we be able to take to have this help us make a difference in our lives? Well, let's, let's begin real simple. Look at a meal as a Sabbath rest. So the challenge then would be at least once this week, and I know it sounds like a low bar. For some of us, that's great that it's a low bar. Don't just settle for once this week. But for others of us, maybe, maybe we're sweating, going, even one, one meal a week, that's going to be tough for me right now. But take one meal a week and have it in community with your family, with friends, with neighbors, with the people around you. And as you have that meal, keep devices away from the table. And we have to acknowledge that parents are probably as bad, if not worse, about devices at the table as kids. Worse than kids. I know it's true in driving. Parents are actually worse with devices and phones while driving. And I would imagine it's at least equal at the table. So keep devices away. Not that devices are bad, but keep devices away because our tendency to be distracted by them is great. And so when we want to be present to the community around us, keeping a distraction away is a great first step. And then the last step, and there could be many others, but the last one I'll leave us with is to simply pray before you eat. Um, I know, I remember as a kid, I could rattle off my dinnertime prayer and it didn't mean anything. But be intentional about your dinnertime prayer. And as you pray, remember to thank God for everything that he's given us. Even if it's just the time that he's given you to slow down, to rest in his presence, thank God for that. Thank God for the break he's given you in your previous routine and thank him for his provision and his abundance. Look, as parents of a 10-year-old and a four-year-old, Caroline and I will tell you, we know that meals can be anything but restful. That's a reality that's true for us. But no matter what, meals always serve as a reminder for God's provision, that he's provided food, that he's provided rest because of Jesus' work. He's provided full and abundant life in and through his son. So as people who God has brought into his rest, let's enjoy meals together. Let's celebrate the rest that we have in and through Jesus. And as we do this, may other people taste and see the source of our rest and be drawn by the spirit to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great and abundant provision. We thank you for providing us with a Sabbath rest and a reminder of that through your provision of food and meals. Lord, we ask that you would bless us to live in the rest that you have given us in Jesus, that we may be renewed, that we may be refreshed, that we may be reconnected to you and to one another. And Lord, in all of this, we ask that because of the work you're doing in and through our lives, that others would taste and see the joy of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.